What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 211 of the All Dolphins podcast on this Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. Last day of January. See? Know how to read a calendar. As you can see on the screen, we are joined today by two esteemed guests, Alfredo Arteaga in the bottom right corner, Simon Clancy in the bottom left corner for another episode of what is it, Omar? When, when podcast worlds unite, oh, unite. Um, th- these are actually our uh, five reasons, uh, brethren, uh, joining us. So it's it's an honor to be part of a, a podcast team. Um, for those who don't know, these gentlemen, they've got a, a podcast. That how many times do you guys tape a week? Twice, but sometimes we could go as many as three times because we do a Q&A show on Discord. So, But the actual uh, three of us, twice. Twice a week. Yeah, twice a week. Um, and, and then the Discord, I, I would love for you guys to explain that just because that seems to be the new wave of, of media. And I noticed Simon has abandoned us out, out on those Twitter streets um and and has taken all of his his knowledge to discord so what's that experience like it's i mean i'm not sure that's strictly true i i run this very difficult balance of living in the uk where not that many people follow the nfl and so having to sort of balance a load of different worlds in terms of sporting likes and i so i tend to post about the nfl when everybody else in the uk has gone to sleep which is and then operates for you guys in the evening so uh, the discord thing's fun actually it's a decent community of people and there's lots of kind of i suppose lots of people that were a bit uh felt a bit uncomfortable about social media about twitter and x as it became and and, and some of the, mm-hmm. the, the things that were happening on there so it's kind of a uh, it's a nicely like a moderated club. bunch of people yeah i think so nicely moderated bunch of people from across the globe who kind of come together with a common goal i know that sounds cheesy but Kind of yeah, what it is no, I, I definitely. You know, I, I had been part of a Discord for gaming community, and and I know the young. My son is part of Discords for his gaming community, and it's just people who have common interests and and they share and they talk about it. And it, I guess, you don't necessarily get attacked as much on uh, as you do yeah. on and, and because it because exactly that because it's kind of nicely moderated, I think. And and I suppose for whatever reason, I, I think Alf, Chris, and myself built up a tiny bit of cachet over the years which i think probably just helps people moderate themselves as well actually and kind of builds a little sense of community a little sense of community that everybody feels kind of welcome and it's a nice little place to chat dolphin stuff really yeah mm-hmm. and me and chris essentially run the place with an iron fist too. <laughs> so that helps. you're out there cracking the whip huh okay yeah but but it's a really good community we have we have over two thousand members right now uh, you can become a member at discord.gg forward slash OnlyFans. We do film study. We're going to be doing some stuff on the Senior Bowl. And draft season is always big on there. We always have a lot of content. 
during draft season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Simon is a guy that I lean on for draft knowledge. I'm looking forward to your draft guide, Simon. Um, you know, I begin this process at the Senior Bowl. I think is today's practice on television today. I'm not sure, actually. Not sure. Uh, yes. I am watching yes. it right now. So, oh, yeah. okay. So that means I'm missing it. Okay. Um, but, yesterday, actually, Omar. Uh, they had that on yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn. Um, let's get into some of this Dolphins conversation. Uh, obviously, this is going to be a difficult offseason. Um, I, I, I initially told people about the apocalypse that was coming and everybody started throwing stones at me, telling me, oh, you're such a hater. You're such a hater. Why are you worried about then when we're, we need to enjoy this season? Well, you, you, you won 11 games. Wasn't all negative, even though the season ended on quite a negative slide. Uh, but now you have this challenge of rebuilding this team, building this roster. And I would argue to you that the roster and the team that they had around Tua Tungvaloa last year probably will never be any better than it was last year. And they were going to have some serious challenges building it back this year. What do you think about their cap situation? And also, how do you handle the Christian Wilkins decision? Alf, do you want to take that first? or? Yeah, uh, on Christian Wilkins, I was initially really, really optimistic that they would get that done. And if they wouldn't get it done, they would just tag them. I don't think that that's happening anymore. I don't think you could tie up $21 million uh, with Christian Wilkins. You don't think the tag is happening? No, I don't think that's happening. And and if you look at it, I wrote it down. Uh, You got to get them somewhere in between DeForest Buckner, Jason Hargrave, and Dexter Lawrence. I don't think he's going to accept that because that's going to place him somewhere. he's not going to accept that. That's going to be somewhere around fifth highest paid defensive tackle in the NFL. So, and it will give him an average of about 21 a year. It's, you know, it is Florida. So I'm pretty sure they're going to do a pretty good sell job on him. But the more I look at it, if he's going to insist to be in that Quinn and Williams, Aaron Donald realm, then he is likely out of here. And I you think let him walk. You don't tag him. You let him walk. Uh, I would try to tag him and try to get, try to monetize him, try to get something out of him. So that's going to be up to Chris Greer to see what he can get. You talking right? transition or franchise? Franchise. Okay. And franchise. then try to trade him. Yes. Try so, to get at least a second round pick for him. So if not, you're going to have to player, let him walk and take the, and take the compensatory pick. So what's supposed nobody, you find nobody on the street who wants to to take him up and just he's here on the franchise tag then he is the sacrifice for the following year for the rest of the roster when they have to pay everybody else. And you're just going to have to let them walk for essentially nothing. So it's a gamble that they're going to have to take this offseason. But they could head all of that off if he could accept something in that realm, which I don't think he will. Yeah, yeah. You, you had your chance for him to be compromising uh, last offseason, and you basically botched that opportunity. And and I was in full support of it. He had not performed like an elite player. He, he had no body of work that showed that he was an elite player. And then he said, okay, I'm going to show you. And here it is. Now, how do you deal with it, Simon? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a year ago, the Dolphins wanted to pay him like Green Bay played paid Kenny Clark, and I think Christian, one of you, paid as the best DT in football. And I think the Dolphins bolted it rightly because he didn't have the sack numbers. And then he turned in this year where he was as dominant as you could possibly hope for, and he delivered on sack numbers. And I think now he wants to be paid probably quite rightly as the best or one of the top two or three defensive tackles in the market. That might get reset with the Chris Jones deal. But I was in his post-game, I was in the post-game press conference after the Chiefs defeat in the playoffs, and 
he was at the podium and obviously there was a sense of real disappointment but i think you could your takeaway and I, th- I think if you were to speak to any of the, the other beat guys that were there i was stood next to adam beasley and and bees and i said look i think he's gone he's died you just got the sense that that was his final moment in miami that i don't think he expected to be back and I, the impression i got from chris greer's press conference a couple of days later was that he probably would be allowed to test the market if there was a market out there for him but i think miami have to you know they have to try and get back into that third and fourth round you can't go for a team that needs has so many holes and only has a one or two and a five you have to try and get back into that two and three area and i think tagging him and trading him um, you know, is the only way forward. I don't think you'll get a first round pick for him because I think the team that wants to take him on is obviously going to have to turn him into the highest paid DT in football as well as giving up draft capital. So I think that's the wisest decision. You'd love to be able to keep the guy and there are significant holes in the defensive line currently uh, with only really uh, Zach Sealer uh, under contract. But I just don't think you can keep everybody. Um, what is fair? What is fair value for Christian Wilkins? If 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 we're putting Christian on the trade block, which clearly... Uh, three reasons uh, a three three yards a carry is 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 doing what do we what do we hope to get back because I'm not I'm not giving up a first round pick for Christian and I don't think any team is no I, I agree I think I, if you can get a second round pick you're extremely happy you're dancing in the streets you know and you work from there I think a two and a four a two and a five a three and a four I think you know I think if Chris Greer came away and got back into that third and fourth round area I think secretly he'd be pretty happy yeah, uh, poop five was, was a price for Josh Rosen, incidentally. I would, <laughs> I would remind, I would remind Omar because Omar loved that trade. Oh, uh, yeah, I love that trade. I really, really <laughs> wanted that trade to happen. Um, two, two quick points, if I may, from my end, uh, and I will keep it brief. I will allow our, our guests to, to do most of the talking, but two quick points. Um, what I would say about, about what Wilkins had not shown in his first four years, more so than just sack, was to be an impact player with the pass rushing. And it's not just strictly about the number of sacks. It's about affecting the quarterback. And he wasn't really doing that those first four years. And last year, I mean, the nine sacks were great. Even beyond that, when he wasn't sacking the quarterback, he was creating havoc. And then number two, if if I'm if I would read Wilkins correctly, it'd be like, okay, you made me wait a year. I'm going to jump atop everybody else who signed last year. And to me, he's going to ask for for higher money than any DT other than Aaron Aaron Donald and Chris Jones. Yeah, because those guys are up there in terms of of talent. Here's my area of, of discomfort. Um, I can make the argument to you guys, and I think because both of you do film study, you would you would see where I'm coming from. I can argue that Zach Sealer was just as impactful, if not more, than Christian Wilkins. And how do I justify paying a guy eight million dollars a year, which is what I'm paying Zach Sealer, and then another guy twenty million dollars a year? And yeah. we've been in this situation before, where you create that dynamic where Xavier Howard, Brandon Jones, and I'm not saying that Zach Sealer is better than Christian, but they're at least on equal playing field. So. I, I- I think you have to ask the question, is Zach Sealer as good a player as he is because of Christian Wilkins, or is he a as good a player as he, as he is despite Christian, you know, without Christian Wilkins being there? And I suspect we'll find out this year. I think he's probably aided. Why? How couldn't he be by, by Wilkins' ability? And I think Wilkins having an effect on Sealer is bigger than the effect that Sealer has on Wilkins. Um, and I suspect we'll see that next year, depending on who they bring in alongside him. But you could also say that Wilkins was positively aided by sealer and 100%. the ends 
hundred percent. And the coverage. Yeah. Of course. Uh, you, you can you can make that argument. You've got two elite cornerbacks on the boundaries. They were locking down things and allowing them to set a franchise record. So now my oh, even though I said, okay, we want to see the sack numbers, Christian shows the sack numbers. Am I paying for the product of the defense or am I paying for Christian? So it's going to be a very interesting negotiation. But then you look at things like, you know, he led the NFL in terms of defensive tackles, in tackles, in run stops, in run stop win percentage, in batted passes. You know, these are extra things that people don't necessarily take into consideration when you're weighing up his impact as a pass rusher. There are a myriad other things that, that made Christian Wilkins the, the elite de- defensive lineman that he turned into. Omar, let me chime in that I'm going to say I completely agree with Simon when he makes the point that Sealer benefited from having Wilkins next to him more than Wilkins benefited from Sealer, as much yeah. as I like Sealer. Yeah, and I do too. I think he's next. No, no, that, that was your point. I completely agree. And, 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 and I think they're all going to look at the cost benefit of paying somebody $21 million to play defensive tackle. Because if you look at the highest paid defensive tackles, the ones that went the farthest, I got them right here. It's Vita Vea, Kenny Clark, Ed Oliver. They all went to the divisional round and they all averaged $17 million a year. Mm-hmm. which I is think where they be, wanted to be with Christian Wilkins last year. There's That's an interesting great. situation that I think Miami might let play out, which is Baltimore's decision on Justin Madabrique, who's also a, a free agent, mm-hmm. um, led all defensive tackles this season, uh, obviously went to the AFC Championship game, was a first-team All-Pro. I, I think he might reset the market in terms of defensive tackle uh, contracts, and I wonder whether Miami just wait to see what happens with that before they do anything decisive. You got to get ahead of that. You go, um, well, yeah, yeah, you, that's you, a very good point. And 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 here's the thing. Um, this and and this is the final point on the Christian Wilkins decision. We all know Christian is is consummate businessman and is very. Hey, you know what you want to say? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's Christian's about his business, and you know that was a business decision. You made him play with the risk of the injury all season, and now. You as a franchise, you're going to pay for it because if you think it's going to be easy to sign Christian Wilkins, especially before the start of the free agency, which is why I I say, you know, even though you're fifty two million dollars in dead cap, you you got to clear seventy two million dollars because you got to make room to tag Christian on March eighth because that's pretty much the only way that you're going to retain him. You need to buy yourself some time because. If not, you might as well offer him the highest paid defensive tackle contract right now because that's the only way he's going to sign. Not when I'm saying highest paid, I'm I'm talking about right under Aaron Donald and and Chris Jones. I think if he's the third highest paid defensive tackle in the game, I think maybe you get a deal done. If anything below that, I think you might as well just slap him with the tag and buy yourself some time. Um, another thing, another thing to look at. I think that the the team is conscious about the expenditure in each unit, and if you look at that number. And they pay, let's say they pay Raekwon Davis at market and they pay Deshaun Hand at market. All that's left to take them right to number one as far as the highest expenditure is $21 million. So they just don't have the money to pay Christian Wilkins. They don't have the money to pay anybody, Alfredo. And this is the problem. This is a huge problem. Who do they have the money to pay? Of course. And when you consider the, the injuries then to Chubb, Van Ginkle, and Phillips in terms of They've got to do that. There is literally Zach Sealer is the only defensive lineman. Uh, I mean, Emmanuel Ogba is not going to be retained, but you throw in Cam Good, Cameron Good's injured. Yeah. Who, what do they do? 
how do they affect a pass rush from interior and exterior? Because Before October. Was, that is an yeah. excellent question, Simon. 100%. How do they do it? How You know, and they yeah. only have, you know, the first and the second round and then a fifth, two sixths and a seventh. It's not an easy job to do. And they're capped up to the eyeballs. Already. They're, they're going to have to sign as the whole roster will be built, the back end of the roster, minimum salary, one-year guys. Yeah. And, and pretend like it's going to be okay. But, yeah. hey, that's their issue this is the mess that they made and obviously steve ross is going to write the big fat check to try to buy themselves another time give them another credit card uh let's and, move on. hold on hold on Omar. let me one last point on this rick one's not getting to me he's not getting any kind of decent money because they have so many other needs to address and he's not doesn't impact the game nearly enough and he's not on the field nearly enough to where he's going to get money you probably can get somewhere else yeah I, th- I would say the same thing of Van Ginkle. I'm not taking a $2.5 million contract from Miami again. I'm at least doubling up, and I'm getting $5 million injured or not from somebody else. Um, so they're they're in a tough spot. Um, let, let's let's move on to some of these needs. We, we we talk about where this team is, and and Simon brought it up, and I you know I've done a, a, a offensive defensive breakdown. I know you guys are doing positional breakdowns on a on a weekly basis on on your podcast uh three yards per carry where do you think this team has their top three needs heading into free agency and then heading into the draft and i and i say this because i say this in that order because people don't realize you can sit here and obsess about what draft picks and you could follow mock drafts and you could you know we don't have a clue what this team is going to look like until free agencies two weeks in. So, and your needs might completely be something polar opposite, depending on how you proceed with this building this roster. So Alfredo, what, what are, what are your thoughts on what are the top three needs for this Dolphins team moving forward to 2024? I think they got to start and stay with the interior offensive line. That's going to be extremely important. And I think on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to have to do some work in the secondary because I don't think that Xavier Howard's going to be back this season. So once you get past those two, then you could get into the areas where you could augment the team a little bit. And, you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to really thread the needle on the defensive line because like Simon said, if they played a thank God they don't play a game tomorrow because if they played a game tomorrow, they'd just be Zach Sealer and Brandon Peely standing out there with nobody else around. Them. So, they're going to have to do some work there. They're going to have to retain Andrew Van Ginkle. That's a lot of work. But you got to start and essentially end in the interior offensive line. you got to shore up left guard, center, right guard, because that's what makes your quarterback. I, I, I have seen your work hammering this. And you know I'm an offensive line lover. I, I absolutely love it. I really don't. Uh, yes, it would backups, and it, the game changed drastically when Connor Williams was was out of the lineup. Um, I think Connor Williams was the number one defense offensive lineman that they had on the team um, th- this past season. I have no idea where he's going to be from a health standpoint. I'm assuming he's going to be fully cleared probably in October. Um, you know, I don't know how people think these ACLs magically heal themselves in six months. It's that's not the reality, but. I am not of the opinion that the backups, they weren't good, but they were not the problem. Are you saying that they were the problem, Mouth? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. 
Shop now at Hero.co. I'm saying that Lester Cotton is not a starting quality left guard. I'm saying that Robert Jones is one-dimensional. And I'm saying that Liam Meikenberg is strictly a backup center in this league. And when you have Teron Armstead, Robert Hunt, and Connor Williams, your three best offensive linemen play less than 50% of the snaps in the season, your season is essentially short-circuited before Jalen Phillips got injured on Black Friday and before Bradley Chubb got injured against Baltimore. So, but they kept them afloat. They kept them afloat. They kept them in the AFC Championship game to Baltimore with with Liam Eikenberg as a starting center. And and you know, you say what you want about Liam Eikenberg. I don't think he played badly in that. It kept them afloat. It kept them afloat. But eventually, you run out of buckets to bail water out of the boat. You know, and they drowned the last month of the season. Yeah, I think protecting that 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 interior, that offensive line, has needs significant work. To to touch back on your question, Uh, and the the situation with Toronto Armstead worries me as well. When he's playing fifty percent, you know, and and he's not. We're not going to go into the next season, and he's going to play seventy five percent or ninety percent of the snaps. He's getting older and older and older, and unfortunately, as good as he is, that that's going to decrease. You don't know the powers of magical medicine and blood doping and, you know, all this kind of other stuff, Simon. Come on. That's very true. That is very true. I don't. He can go to Germany Germany in the offseason. That's a good sign. Huh? What did you say? If if Armstead shows up in Germany in the offseason, that's a very good sign. Or he, you know, says he's going to take part in the Tour de France. That's also a good sign in terms of, you know, (laughs) blood situation but um and to me that the so the interior of the defensive line the offensive line is is for me the number one concern i think daniel jeremiah had it right the other day and i i think we'll get on to tour in a minute but he said that you can absolutely win a super bowl with tour uh and but he said the way that you can win it is that you have to have to get home field advantage but you have to provide him with better talent around it people say what do you mean better talent? you've got tyreek hill and jane waller and he has and they're and they're excellent but I think this team has a Tyreek Hill problem. I think they target Hill way too much. Uh, I think the backup receivers, i.e. from Waddle is fine, but on downwards, Barrios, Wilson, oh. Craycraft, as you can, uh, uh, Chosen, etc., were just not up to the, you know, up to the test when the two front guys got hurt. And I think that when Jeremiah said that, you know, if I was Chris Carew and Mike McDaniel, I'd be looking heavily at investing a high pick in another wide receiver. I don't think they were too far off the mark. I think you just need to provide two with as many weapons as possible uh, to make it as difficult as possible for, for defenses to try and counter what you can do on offense. And and look, Mike McDaniel, we know what he does. We know what he brings to the table. We know that he's going to be in the lab uh, this offseason looking at how to make that offense better. And I think that only works with with even more talent at receiver and running back and tight end, et cetera, et cetera, just people that can can make plays. And, you know, I think that's how you win with Tua. Uh, uh, let me let me counter what you said, Simon, because I don't disagree with you in regards to they – it was the receiver unit was not good enough. No, um, they were missing a slot receiver. And yeah, I know 100%. people view Tyreek as a slot receiver, but you, what, what you're missing is a Jarvis Landry slot receiver, a, a guy who gives you that toughness, that physicality that can ca- catch the pass over the middle. And I know everybody thinks that's a tight end, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a tight end. But you said, and this is where I, I got a little bit dis- uncomfortable, you said that it should come through the draft. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been here for two years. I know the struggles that rookies have learning this offense. Yeah, that 
that's a huge roll of the yeah. dice to have to wait on a, a rookie receiver to learn the offense, even if huge. it's a position. Huge. I mean, look at Eric Ezekanma, who's you know struggled to pick. I know you know there's there's a, a an issue in terms of a you know medical or or whatever with, with Eric, but um, you look at the fact that you look at the fact that you know he'd never taken a snap, uh, he'd never taken a, a play call in a huddle in his entire life. At Texas Tech, everything came in from the sideline. In high school, everything came in from the sideline. He was literally learning how to take in plays and and the verbiage that comes with that in, in an NFL huddle. Um, so yeah, look, draft is an ideal world scenario, but you know, you know, and there are players out there. I look at Western Kentucky's Malachi Corley, who would be a Debo Samuel type in a Mike McDaniel offense. Um, but you know, can they get up to speed immediately? That's a massive problem. And uh, when I spoke to McDaniel in, in Frankfurt when he was over and we had that back and forth, he said to me that you know, I, I asked him about his scheme and the development of his scheme into next season and how he would look to keep one step ahead of defensive coordinators. And he was like, "It's not my scheme." That's the thing that everybody doesn't realize. He said, "I, I essentially," he said, "I know it sounds obvious, but I essentially build it around the players and and what they do best is how I build plays." Now, if you're removing the two best players, Hill and Waddle, because of injuries, because they're being targeted so much, because they're being hit so much, because they're having to run so much. If you remove the two best players who do everything as well as they do, how can you build an offense when you have such a gulf between number one and number two, and then three, four, five, six on down? That is a very difficult dichotomy for Mike McDaniel to have to solve in the in the offseason because that unit has to get better. It has to. Otherwise, everything he's trying to do gets gets let down. Poop, how do you improve this? Oh, uh, yeah, you, you were going to say something else? Yeah, uh, to that end, on next-gen stats, their separation numbers, it's interesting because, yes, Hill and Waddle are right there at the top. They're both in the top 10 in separation numbers. There's no other Dolphin in the top 100. Number 100 is Devontae Parker at two yards of separation. So that tells you pretty much everything you need to know. There are four New England Patriots in the top 100. There are two Dolphins in the top 100. So... Is there a minimum uh, num- number of receptions or targets to make that it's list? A, I think it's a snap count. They had to have at least two hundred snap, uh, two hundred snaps. Yeah, and all those guys. Because I, I, I have a hard time believing that Devontae Parker would would get more separation than anybody on the Dolphin roster, including including Tyler Croft. Uh, one of the questions I think heading into the season or into the off season is whether or not they look to move Devon Achan to a more uh, receiver role, mm. potentially, to make use of his route running, which is excellent, his speed. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they can, you know, you can almost see like a reverse Debo Samuel role, whereas, you know, A-Chan still runs the ball. He does not have back. the physicality for that. And no, I know he's then, not. Does he have the physicality to be a running back, you know? He's, he's you a have to manufacture touch. You have to manufacture touches for him because he's so explosive. He's so good. Uh, you know, but how do you do that? Can you continue to can you continue to live in a world where he probably only plays ten games a season because it, you know of what you're trying to do with him in the backfield? So do you make it that you manufacture touches for him out of the slot? Do you you know? I mean, they they do, do that. They 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 actually did yeah, that. Do you do it more? How much more can you do it? And how much more? I, I, I I'll be interested to see how much more McDaniel pushes that in the off season in terms of trying to get him the ball more, but not in scenarios where he's going to get hit at speed by multiple people at the same time, which will, you know, tissue injuries and all those sorts of things yeah. that have dogged him a little bit. That's why I'd send them on wheel right on wheel routes quite a bit. 
I mean, keep him on the outside and take advantage of his speed. And he, he's, a, I mean, who do you cover him with? I yeah, mean, I mean, go back to the Washington game with a touchdown to, to Hill in the first quarter. He was, I mean, on the, if Tua looks to the other side, he's got six yards of separation and a touchdown on the other side of the field because he was one-on-one with the corner and, you know, he absolutely blew past him. So, you know, there are going to be opportunities for A-Chan down the field in terms of the passing game. So that will be interesting to see if they're struggling to get a receiver to, you know, you look at someone like Juwan Jennings who plays with the 49ers, who is a McDaniel uh, acolyte, essentially was drafted under McDaniel, played under him, is an outstanding blocker and so understands the nuance of the offense immediately. You have to think that somebody like that is somebody that they would be looking to bring in as a high priority free agent uh, just because he knows exactly what the score is in terms of how the offense works and the, and the machinations of, of making it work. That's a phenomenal name, uh, free agency, Simon. I'm going to have to keep an eye on that. Um, Poop, your, your thoughts on how to improve this, this team? Well, one, one more thing about A-Chan also in the Buffalo game, the first pick down the middle of the field, deep to Tyreek, A-Chan was running on the outside and he also looked like the defender was kind of leaving him to go double Tyreek. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the way to use A-Chan, uh, not necessarily running in between the tackles 20 times a game or 15 times a game. Uh, well, the first thing the Dolphins have to do is they have to figure out what they're going to do with their offensive line and their free agents. Kendall, Lamb, Connor, Williams, Robert Hunt. Um, if I would imagine they're going to do their best to retain two of them. If they do, I don't think that the offensive line is a screaming need. Uh, they do have these issues on the, on the on the defensive line. While I agree with the point that they need to beef up the wide receiver core, mm. uh, I would play devil's advocate about the issue of, of featuring Tyreek too much on offense because I'm of the opinion that Tyreek is what makes this offense special. Oh, agree. Uh, sorry. No, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. Uh, and that's the thing. And then if you de-emphasize him, and there's certainly some merit to that, it makes you more difficult. But is Tua Tua if he can't throw to Tyreek 20 times a game? Will he have the same degree of success? And I don't know. I am not I, – I, I, even though I'm the Tua hater, I am not closing the door on anything except that I haven't seen it yet. Therefore, I still question what the ceiling is, depending on circumstances, how far they can go with him how far they can go if Tyreek's not the focal point of the offense. Um, I happen to think that Eric Azukama could be a big factor player next year because of what I, I – yeah, I do actually, because of what I saw in training camp his rookie year and then with the way that they used him in different ways running the ball um, last summer. And so, so why I did have, you if, – if you believed in that, why did why'd they shelve him at the midseason with a neck injury? Well, obviously, I, I don't think they shoved them for you, – you actually think that they, it was a wink-wink neck injury that silent him for the rest of the year? I, I, I'm pretty I sure he'll come back. And if you chose River Craycraft over him, then that's the choice that you made. And River Craycraft – obviously, Uzukama has a different level of physicality to him. And I love River Craycraft just like the next guy. But let's be real. If if Eric Uzukama could really help you, would you, would you have played Chase Claypool over him? Would you have played – uh, Robbie chosen over him. You're, see, but you're suggesting there's a choice, and I, and I am I'm going to believe that actually there was an issue with the neck where it was more cautious for them to sit him out the entire season. So let me finish answering the question. Then what I would do to improve the team, I think cornerback's going to be a screaming need because I'm with you out there. I don't think it, there's no way the Dolphins can justify paying X what he's owed because he's gotten injured the last couple of years. The play has dipped a little bit, and as with Tehran. Uh, when you get older, the injury situation doesn't all of a sudden get better. It just goes the other way. 
Mm-hmm. Now to the fun conversation that Alan Poupard is always looking forward to. Um, the Tua, how do you handle the proposal? Um, do you do you do you do you ask him to marry you, or do you try to drag out this? Uh, do you set a date, or do you try to drag out this engagement a, a little while longer by making him possibly play on the fifth year option and maybe the franchise tag next year? Or do you lock him up to a multi-year deal now? And at what price? You can have that bone hand grenade, Alf. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me just add one last thing to on the pass on the pass catchers. You can see it on the all 22, especially down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, they had Durham Smythe running corner routes. They had him running scissors concepts with Tyreek Hill. The Ravens, even the Cowboys, the Ravens, the Bills, especially the Chiefs, were absolutely ignoring Durham Smythe. If you're going to have somebody run those routes, you need somebody that the defense will respect. Because if not, you're essentially just drawing double coverage to Tyreek every time you line up Durham Smythe on his side. Now, on Tua... Alp, was he not open, though, on on some of those and ignored? uh, He was open on a couple. Uh, That's not not a Durham Smythe problem, then. That's a Tyreek problem, (laughs) Alan. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's one of those things. Uh, Tua looks over there because both guys over there, and he's thinking Durham Smythe or Tyreek Hill. I'm telling you, it's not going to get any better. They have no intentions of throwing to a tight end. None. The tight end is an additional blocker, and he might be out there as an outlet receiver. That that's just part, not part of their offense at all. Yeah. Um, but but let's let's get to the what the meat of what everybody is here for. I we need a game plan, Alf, of how to handle Tua. Well, if I'm his agent, you know, I, I could take a pretty hard line, okay? Can but you? If I'm, Hold but on. If I'm, With a fragile quarterback, you're going to take a hard line? The guy is top three, top five in every single quarterback category the last two years of a four-year career. Yes, I take a very, very hard line with the Dolphins. Hard so, line at what price point? I want to be in the Justin Herbert conversation as far as contract. That's 50 a year, I believe you're saying. Yes. Okay. Now, that's me talking as his agent. As if, his agent. Okay. So if, I, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm trying you, to get him in. a hardline stance, you want last year's price this year. Yes. Okay. And I want it long term. I want the same guarantee that Justin Herbert got. $133.7 million fully guaranteed and 193 guaranteed for injury. Plus $1. Ah, you're not gonna get that one dollar. But, but so you want five years, one dollar than anything else. Five years, two hundred and sixty-three million dollars. Pretty much. That that's me talking as his agent, and and I think that you're a good agent. Then Alf, you're a good agent. (laughs) Not realistic, but you're a good agent. But if I'm the Dolphins, I'm trying to getting. I'm trying to get him in under that. I want to guarantee somewhere around one hundred and fifteen, one hundred and twenty, something that's near 40 a, a year that's so what i want to guarantee you're really trying to pay me 40 a year pretending like i'm making 50 a year precisely okay okay why should i sign this because we have a good system here it's miami it's a good place to be rich okay okay you're gonna be a rich man Tua. so why not be rich but here 50, 40 million dollars is a lot different than 50 million dollars rich that's a lot of well but a- if you're gonna get 50 million dollars in washington dc it's like getting 40 in Miami, Florida, you know? Okay. So uh, it's going to take a sell job, but I, I don't think it's going to be that difficult of a sell job. He's had an injury situation. 
Okay, he still has a little bit more to prove. All right, uh, the numbers are there, but the numbers haven't been there in some of the biggest games. So there's there's plenty to hold up against him. But as far as the necessity of getting it done, I think it's imperative. They have this is the biggest challenge they have this offseason because you cannot have that charge come online of twenty four million dollars. Yeah, you can. When you have to pay other yeah, people. you can. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. I mean, that's just restructuring three other guys. And I mean, it, it for one year of, or two years of relief. I you know I I actually do agree with Allen. Whereas we're really talking about do you want to lock up Tua for three years at a hundred and twenty to a hundred and forty million dollars? And I don't know how I feel about that. I, I, I'm way more comfortable if I if I give him the fifth year option at twenty three million dollars, and then give him a franchise tag at thirty eight million dollars. That's a lot different than one hundred and twenty million dollars. And yeah. you know, and it does not give him the vote of confidence that he probably needs. But then your performance didn't necessarily give us the vote of confidence that we kind of needed. Um, and it wasn't all on him. And I'm be the first to say, I'm sorry, a lot of those players, his top four offensive weapons were out there playing at 70% at their best. Your offensive line, the interior was mediocre at their best. So, and you're playing upper echelon defenses and upper echelon quarterbacks and everybody puts it on Tua, which I don't think is necessarily fair, but let's not pretend like he wasn't given one minute and 53 seconds against the Buffalo Bills and poop the bed. Yeah, um, I, I kind of tend to agree with you, Omar, rather than Drew Rose and Alf down there in terms of the uh, the agent. I, I I think any contract would be one of the more unique contracts we've ever seen in the NFL because of what's happened both physically and on the field. And I say this as a as a tour fan, as I am, but I am also understanding of the fact that he's ten and eleven against teams with winning records. Um, that for the second season running, we had uh, a late season collapse um, that whilst you don't completely put in his hands, as you said, you know, there are certainly issues there. My my biggest concern has always been that in the very biggest moments, he hasn't stepped up and carried the team on his shoulders. Uh, he did so somewhat against Dallas, uh, you know, and more power to him. My Don't short him the Chargers. No, well, I was about to say my disappointment well, was... One. Week one, though. Chargers, yeah. That Chargers are best, Super Bowl team week one. Don't take it away yeah, from him. His best game of the season was the first game of the season. Um, and it was an awesome – I don't think we should take anything away from how good his performance was. And I don't think what happened to the Chargers subsequently was reflective of his performance on that day. Uh, because you. the Chargers had every single player playing healthy, out there, defensively, offensively, Justin Herbert, everybody. And there were four-point favourites at home. Don't and there were four-point favourites at home. And I think his performance there was extraordinary, um, and especially in the fourth quarter. Um, but he did things in that game, uh, moving the pocket, uh, etc. He had the third down throw where he moved the pocket to Barrios. He had the, the big throw to Tyreek where he stepped up in the pocket and threw the big ball down the field that you sort of didn't see later in the season and whether or not that was nervousness about the offensive line. I, I think his inability to create out of structure is a thing that concerns me the most. And I that, think if you look that at... that guy over there. Yeah, and I think if you look at what happened, I think it's true, Alan. I think it, if you look at, you know, the, the four teams this, you know, this weekend past in terms of the, you know, Jared Goff, less so. 
but Brock Purdy, we saw his ability to escape out the pocket, to make plays rolling. Obviously, we know about Mahomes and Lamar. And it's just that thing with Tua. And you wonder whether or not that's a mental thing in terms of the offense is so prescriptive that he has to get the ball out because it's so timing, or whether or not it's a mental thing thinking that I almost retired this time last year and I have to get the ball out because if I get hit again, that could be the end. So it's a really difficult one. I think I... As a pure businessman, if I was Chris Greer taking that phone call from Alf that he talked about, I would be like, I'm absolutely zero chance you're getting Justin Herbert money. I think that I would let him play on the fifth year and potentially franchise him because there are still question marks that I want to see answered before I invest the future in in him. The problem with Tua is that he's really good. Is he good enough? But then the flip side to that is that he's probably better than 75, 80% of the quarterbacks in the league anyway. And if you give up on Tua, you're giving up on Mike McDaniel, essentially, because they are so well married together. Um, And you've got to start again with somebody else who doesn't have some of the superpowers. And he does have superpowers, the accuracy, the timing, those sorts of things that are so key to what McDaniel wants to do. So it's a really difficult one, but I think I would make him play on the on the fifth year and see where we go in a year's time. And for those and for those that are thinking that like this is outrageous to be holding him up, it did happen already. It happened with Lamar Jackson. So it's a business, Alf, as well. It's a yeah. business. It's not just a, you know, I'm sure and Omar and Alan would deal with him all the time. He's a likable, whenever I've dealt with him, he's a likable character. I spoke to him a number of times on the phone when he was at Alabama. I've I've spoken to him as a player in Miami and I found him likable and friendly and honest and open and his teammates clearly love him, but it's a business at the end of the day and you've got to make business decisions about, about players. And, you know, it's about the name on the front, not the name on the back. And that's the, you know, that's the key thing I think that Dolphins fans have to remember. Um, Poupard, obviously your position is well entrenched and, and are you a little, do you have a little bit more comfort that Alf, uh, I mean, Simon agrees with you? Fifth year and tag? Uh, no, I mean, I've always respected Simon's football knowledge, and he's once again proved it by agreeing with my position <laughs> that it should be fifth year option and then tag if Tua balls out. And then this is actually, as I've said before, this is a great scenario for the Dolphins because, I mean, is it so bad that this is going to cost him financially down the stretch? But if Tua answers the questions that remain, i.e., can he step up at crunch time against good defenses, then I think the Dolphins are going to be okay with paying whatever more it might cost them down the road while having more clarity and more certainty about having answered the questions that still remain. And Alpha, I do want to counter your point that you're throwing out top three in a lot of statistical categories. Well, if we're not blaming him, if we're not blaming him when things go south, we need to accept the fact that the speed with which he operates on offense, i.e. Tyreek Hill, who's the biggest difference maker of any also has to be factored in when we talk about, you know, the, the yardage and all that. Um, and this is where I, because yes, I do think there are a lot of quarterbacks who could step into this offense and have similar results and maybe they would perform better at crunch time. Um, See, that's where I would disagree with you. I don't get, I, I think so. Uh, you look at people like you listen to people like Kurt Warner and people like that, and, and they talk about how, people don't and I don't think anybody really understands the complexity of 
everything that he is in control of on that. Like you go over there, if and if you and I were to go over to the park, right? Or the three of the three of the four of us were to go over to the local park with a ball, and I was throwing to Omar, but I was looking at you, and then because you were stood over there, but I was throwing. That's quite difficult. Just the three of us stood in the park, right? Try and do it when some of the best athletes in the world are moving around in front of you. You've got, and I'm not trying to defend the guy at all. No, no, except I'm, Simon. I'm sorry. Hold on. Exactly. We, we're taking what four plays out of 400 passes. No, 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 no. no. He does that so sorry. often. He does that probably Matt about eight Matt times. This game. notion, this notion that he's looking one way and throwing another way. I deception. about. Hold on a second. If you're talking about when he's looking one way to get the defense to move and then throwing over here, that's called looking off your receiver. No, you're no, no. I'm not talking about that. Back. What I'm talking, I'm not talking about what say what Matthew Stafford did on that final drive of the Super Bowl when they beat the bet. I'm not talking about stuff like that. What I'm talking about is two two receivers on the same pattern in the same area, yeah. and he's looking at, and there's only a five yard difference, yeah. but the, it's the it's the Iowa, and you saw it quite a lot with the um. You could see it more sometimes on some of the hard knocks practice stuff in terms of how it is not two or three times a game. This is seven, eight, nine, it ten is not. times a game. And, and, and defenders, you talk about it in the Houston joint practices where the Houston defenders were talking about that. And, you know, and then they came up to him and they told him, you know, the final practice play where the, the safety intercepted it. And he was like, yeah, you weren't going to get me with that. I dis- with that eye, eye trick thing you do. And it, it's, it, it is part of his superpower. Um, I don't think Allen gives him the praise and respect that he is warrants in terms of throwing the spots, eye discipline, looking off linebackers, freezing linebackers, throwing to creating, creating QB 101. Looking off the defenders is called QB 101, but not a lot of QBs can do it. Half the league, but not a lot. QB 101, but maybe 10 out of the 32 QBs in the NFL. Where did you put him in? Where did you put him in our rankings yesterday? Where'd you have him like 13, 14? 12 or 13, 12 or 13, but be consistent. Okay, so and I I had him like, but but that's. I spoke to Nick Bolton after the Chiefs playoff game, and Bolton said to me that it is one of the most exhausting things to do having to play tour because of how he makes you think on every single play because you don't know what he's doing because of the way that he manipulates. And it, he says it's not manipulation, like looking over there and throwing over here. It's just this, this lane here freezes. And he's just – he says and in a way that's more difficult because – it's easier in a way to move your body to do what Stafford did in the Super Bowl than to do what Tua does because the the lanes and the gaps that he's throwing into are so much more narrow and they're so much more occupied because it's so many second level throws. And he said, that's the difficulty is that you are having to concentrate the entire time because you just aren't a hundred percent sure of what he's going to, he said, and what he might do is he'll look you off three times and throw, look outside, throw inside, look outside, throw inside. And then you step one way and he throws back the way that you always thought he was intending to throw. And he said, that's what makes it so difficult to work out. So I do think there is a level of difficulty that we as fans and journalists and, uh, uh, and all this probably don't quite grasp in the same way that maybe some of the defenders that, that go up against him do. But I think once you get him off that, then he can be more easy to manipulate Hence, why it goes back to the entire conversation that we talked about about a protecting him and b giving giving him more weapons because I think lots of things have to be perfect for Tua to win big and I I don't think you would say that about Joe Burrow or 
uh, Patrick Mahomes or whatever. And that's absolutely fine because there are so few of those kind of alien quarterbacks in the league. You just have to maximise what he has because, you know, like I said, he's probably better than 80% of the people in the league anyway. So that's the, the conundrum we find ourselves in. I have two important that's questions. Too, that's, that I want. Too high, that's too high for me. And one, one more thing. I am going to say this. And Omar, you can throw out Arm Queen whenever you want. Get get ready, Omar, on cue. This is where Tua needs perhaps more things to be executed perfectly because he just doesn't have the arm strength to overcome whatever tiny error there is there. It It is our quarterback. We, know. we know who he is. And he's not an athlete like like Josh, Josh Allen or Patrick Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. And and that's where I'm a little bit uncomfortable whereas okay, those are the quarterbacks that he lost to in this critical stretch of the season. Those are also arguably three of the top 5 quarterbacks in the NFL. They are different animals uh and I I have a hard time thinking if it, they were easy to find, other people would have would have found them by now. Yeah. Um, and certainly it wouldn't have taken the Dolphins 20 years to find them, even though we've missed on a number of opportunities. But let me let me pick, parlay this into an important conversation. And I just want everybody to give me their decision. I want you to pick Kirk Cousins or Tua Tonga Valoa to lead your franchise for the next three years. Alf? Well, with uh, Mike McDaniel as head coach. Huh? Uh, Mike McDaniel's the head coach. Why does it have to be th- three years? Okay. Yeah, a three-year commitment. Stop, stop, stop being trying to be a single man. You're making a commitment here. Well, if you know, if you know me and you follow me on Twitter, I am president of the Kirk Cousins fan club because I've thought of him as a top ten quarterback for a very long time. That's why. He's, uh, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, he is I'm no, he is no longer that. Well. He is older. He just took a, a pretty bad injury. I don't think he can operate the the system that that two operates with the pre-snap motion, then the snap point, then the mesh point. Remember that two is processing three things before he throws the ball, and then he has to read the defense. Oh, Kirk Cousins is a phenomenal processor, very intelligent. You you wait your turn, Poupard. You wait your turn, Poupard. No, no, hold on. I got to interject because this this is going to affect his his answer. Obviously, Alf, if you bring in Kirk Cousins, you're going to tweak your offense to fit his skill set the way the Dolphins have completely done everything to fit Tua. I mean, this is yes. not a Kirk Cousins same system or Tua in the system. Make That's your choice, true. Alf. Go ahead, Alf. I love Kirk Cousins. Tua's younger and probably cheaper in the immediate future. So okay. Tua. Simon. If it's a Mike McDaniel offense, I'm taking Tua. And I say that as somebody who likes and respects Kirk Cousins as both a player and a human being, as cheesy as that sounds. I'm I'm actually going to stick with Tua if it's a three-year window. Um, I I know Kirk Cousins is going to Kirk Cousins is the the I have the most respect of anybody in the NFL for Kirk Cousins in terms of how he handles business. First quarterback in NFL history to get a fully guaranteed contract. Others have followed suit. He's going to maximize his opportunity in free agency this offseason. I'm curious, and I think his money is going to set the bar for what Tua can get. Pupar. Who are you picking, Cousins or Tua? Three-year window. Well, I don't like the three-year window because to me, you would go, you would go outside those of those your choices, sir. Well, that's a bad question. How's that? No, it's not a bad question. How's it's that? forcing your hand uh, in a difficult position. And it, then well, Alf, well, I don't, I don't, I don't care about anything in the NFL past three years. Mike McDaniel is probably going to be fired in three years. Chris Greer is going to be fired in three years. Um, Steve well, Ross is probably going to have sold that's the team precisely in three my years. point. That's precisely my point. If yeah. you were to tell me for 2024 no, only, you give me you. no, I want three year window. We're gonna, this is we're all in this together. Three year window, everybody pooper, get off the pot. 
and you need to bring it <laughs> off the pot with the answer. Don't use You're my taking Kirk Cousins or you taking Tua. Don't use my nickname in vain. Uh, I don't like this three-year window at all because if it goes south the next two years, Mike McDaniel, chances are, is not going to be there in 20 – what would it be? 2026. So I don't like I don't like the premise of the question. I'm going to say that for 2024, my answer would be Kirk Cousins, uh, and pretty clearly, for three years, if I'm going to play along and and we bringing economics into the, the the into the equation and the fact that Kirk Cousins is 35 and coming off an Achilles, and he's chances are he's going to be more costly. Where I have two years of control with Tua, under all those factors, ever so slightly I lean Tua, but. Again, it's because you put, painted me in, into a corner. Um, the, good. Now, a very important question. And I have been a proponent for draft a quarterback till you get a quarterback. That is an elite quarterback, and I don't care what the resources are. And I know you're light on resources, but you also suck in the draft. Let's be honest about it. Um, do you draft a quarterback this year and develop, begin the process of developing him? Uh I probably would, but then I'm of the the opinion that you should draft a quarterback every year just because. High five, um, Simon. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you probably develop Skylar Thompson as far as Skylar can develop, uh, and that's not a knock on Sky. I think he's well-respected, and I think he did a great job when he came in in terms of the circumstance and being a rookie from a, a scheme that was completely alien to what Mike McDaniel was running. He almost beat the Bills on the road in the playoffs, or was at least part of that. Um, part of that team yeah absolutely so one yeah exactly Uh, I mean those guys are out there uh, and I think you should be drafting a guy every year and trying to develop them and see what happens because the very worst thing that can happen is they end up starting a few games and you can get back a better draft pick than than what you used to get them with so I would draft a quarterback on day three of the draft pretty much every year if I could Alf yeah, uh, absolutely. And and I'd be remiss if I didn't this mention is the, this. You're saying this is the year. 2024, limited resources, take a quarterback. Absolutely, because uh, I don't think going forward, the expensive backup quarterback is something that you can afford to do year in and year out when you need that money for other things. And I'd be remiss to say, if I didn't say this, our partner on the podcast, Chris Kaufman, loved Brock Purdy. So when people say that nobody knew about Brock Purdy, uh, our partner actually did and advocated for drafting him in the seventh round that year. So look at so. look at look, look at we, what we missed out on. Poupard, you drafting the quarterback in 2024? For the record, I was advocating for Tom Brady in 2000 to be picked in this. <laughs> on that I, I, can't, I need I can't. to see. I need to see legitimate evidence of that. Oh, well, I'll, 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 let me let me dig for it. I'll get back. It will take a while. Um, Chris his Chris Greer's father it was in New England. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's he's actually he's actually if you go to the origins of the roots of who is advocating for Tom Brady and Drafterman, books have been written about this. It was Chris Greer's father. So yeah. hey, yeah. What's odd about the Tom Brady thing is if you go back and you look at his, his career at Michigan, he was underdrafted. Yeah, he should have been like a third or fourth round pick. Yeah, but he, he wasn't even better than Drew Henson. Drew Henson, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, weird, weird, but look who's the goal. One more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, I agree, especially since, but again, they they are limited in draft picks, as Simon mentioned. It's a a one, a two, a five, two sixes, and a seven. Look what they got out of six and the sevens the last couple of years. Uh, Elijah Higgins with with the Cardinals, Ryan Hayes. 
Who cares? Uh, they 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 do well with the Omar, you're, players. You're proving my point. Exactly. Yeah. Who cares? So so I have no issue with taking a shot on a quarterback. Out of the blue, you get something. There's nothing wrong with that. And last year, both you and I were were kind of kind of high on Hendon Hooker, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. Uh, be interesting to see how that pans out with him in Detroit. Uh, he he was an intriguing prospect. But yeah, I know I have zero issue with taking a quarterback every year in the league. Uh, now, Simon, um, to wrap this up, I want to get your thoughts about the overview of this draft class. I, yeah. I have not began my process. Um, I really don't care until now. And and I really won't pay attention until after free agency when we get to what the needs are for this team. But what what, what do you think about this class? I think it's strong overall. I think there are some positions that are absolutely outstanding. Uh, offensive line tackle a left tackle right tackle is outstanding you could look and see that there would be six or seven tackles right and left that might end up going in the first round when you look at it um when you look at joe alt and fashanu at penn state and uh talisi fuaga at ohio at oregon state and um uh, Troy Fatano at Washington, uh, Mims of Georgia, I think Patrick Paul, Jordan Morgan of Arizona. I think there's a number of guys, uh, and that, that's just tackles only. Tyler Guyton at Oklahoma um, could all go in the first round. I think wide receivers extremely strong, especially at the top. Extremely? Think, Hold on. Oh, extremely? Oh, extremely strong. I think wide receivers, an ap- I think it's an absolutely outstanding class. And I think at the, at the very top, you obviously have, to me, the best wide receiver that I've seen come out in a long, long time. This is Larry. Calvin Johnson? Yeah, and it's Larry Fitzgerald with speed is how I, you know, how I've been writing him up in the draft book. That's that's as good as Marvin Harrison is. He is as good as I've seen since Calvin Johnson, I think. But I think if you go beyond that, I mean, Roma Dunze of Washington might be my favorite overall player in the draft. He just has everything that you look for in a receiver. He blocks separation ability, size, athletic ability. He's physical after the catch. He runs great routes. Uh, he's just a really good player. Neighbors at LSU and Brian Thomas's teammate at LSU are great. Got the kid at Florida State, Keon Coleman. A guy I really like. He reminds me of DK Metcalf, Xavier Leggett of or Leggett of, uh, of South Carolina. And then you go down to kind of guys like Troy Franklin at Oregon, Devontez Walker, who's playing at the, the Senior Bowl. I mean, probably wouldn't even fit in my top 10, but a guy who dominated at the Senior Bowl yesterday um, is Roman Wilson of Michigan. I mean, if I'm just looking at this now. He's not in my top 10, but was absolutely dominant yesterday at the Senior Bowl. So, you know, there are guys, Lab McConkie, if you're looking for guys out the slot. But I think overall, it's a it's a really good, I think, you know, edge. There's some good edge defenders. I think it's a really deep cornerback group. What, um, what about defensive tackle? Uh, it's not it, – I, I, I love the two guys at Texas – um murphy and sweat i think they're excellent beyond that i kind of i worry a little bit about how good it is and i think that's you know we were talking about this last night when we recorded three yards per carry because we did defensive line and you know for me i think free agency is that area you look at somebody like Derek nandy of the chiefs for example as somebody that if you do get rid of christian wilkins that's a guy that you you know you might target Uh, i know that um i know that uh alf likes uh the jones guy daywan jones uh, um at uh, Buffalo, but to mm-hmm. me, I think defensive tackle is kind of light. I think you always do Jordan Jordan Phillips again. I'm just yeah, saying. yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely. always it's always possible. It's always there. It'll be it'll be a fun locker room that first day in camp, though. Yeah, I mean, we we we've been, I mean, hey, I'm ending my beef with Kevin Burnett. Okay, so if if I could end my beefs, uh, me and Jordan Phillips, we could we could do a kumbaya thing. Exactly. Um, That's what uh, I'm let me ask you this question um, regarding the draft yeah um this guy over here 
He's obsessed with Roquan Smith. Okay. Um, oh, oh, it absolutely needs a linebacker like that. Is there that player in that in this draft? There isn't. It's a really weak linebacker group. I mean, you, hold on. How did you just make hearts? I, I don't know. That just popped up. Oh my gosh! He just made hearts. I just learned something. Like, wait a minute. Where are my hearts? I don't know. I just look. I mean, for me, the best <laughs> the best linebacker in the class is Edrin Cooper at Texas A and M, and I think it was intriguing yesterday to see um, Daniel Jeremiah release his first top fifty. Uh, of the year and he had uh, he had cooper in the 20s i think he was at 20 either 24 or 27 but he's you know he's 62 he's 226 pounds you know so this is not a roquan smith kind of makeup he is you know very athletic very aware uh that athleticism kind of pounds sorry say that again 226 pounds yeah 220 he's two i think he went let me just look he's so he was 62 227 uh at the senior bowl at the way light in the tail Little light in the tail. He's very long, 34-inch arms. The, the guy that I think is really intriguing uh, and and certainly fits more of that is is Peyton Wilson, who's the kid from NC State who won the Buckus Award. He's 6'4". He's 238. Uh, he is extremely athletic. He is, you know, a really, really good player. But he's had 11 surgeries since uh, high school. He's ACL, shoulders, all sorts of things. You know, there are there are plenty of... Uh, so he's, he's, he'll of be in the discount bin, is what you Injury warnings, yeah, absolutely. But in terms of if you're looking for... He a plays with... A, he, play, he does play... Sorry to interrupt you, Simon. He does play with a, with a high AVG-style motor. Yeah, so, he is a... Like, he's noticeable he's a really on film. He's a really good player. But if you're looking for Roquan Smith, unfortunately, I don't think he's in this class. They, they don't grow on trees. And by they the way, Omar, don't grow on trees. Roquan Smith, 6'1", 235. He's not huge either. He's just all over the place. Would you have made the trade for Smith over the trade yes. for Chubb, especially in given how well Chubb played? You didn't even yeah. have to finish the sentence. In a uh, heartbeat, regardless of how well pl- Chubb was playing last year. And he did. Yeah, and he did. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and and safety position because I'm a big fan of that that UM kid. Um, yeah, Cam Kinchins. Yeah, Kinchins is a nice player. I, I think at the first top round. Uh, I think probably a team. You look at someone like the Green Bay Packers who are desperate for kind of that that middle of the field safety help. I, I mean, there's a you know you look at somebody like Cooper DeGene of of Iowa and you wonder whether or not under Fangio's D, you know and, and if say Brandon Staley comes in, DeGene is probably a really good fit to play multiple positions as sort of a in a way, a kind of a CJ Gardner Johnson sort of Swiss Army knife kind of kind of player, but in terms of pure safeties, I think at the top of the class you're looking at you're looking at Kinchins, you're looking at the kid uh, Bullock from USC, who's a nice player, um, the the guy from uh, Minnesota, uh, who's a really nice player, uh, Tyler Newbin, who I think that you know these are probably guys that you'd look at in the 25 to 45 region. Um, Bullock's kind of a real center fielder, athletic, rangy, makes plays on the ball on the back end i personally think that that's what they need for some put put with holland i don't think holland yeah. is center fielder um I, I they want him in the action we've been with two coaching staffs who wanted him in the action and i i think you need that center fielder to to compliment him i think the issue with kinchins is that he missed for me he misses a lot of tackles on tape and that's you know obviously something that shows up um but he's a sea ball fine ball ball gets attracted to him kind of player so um Yes, Alan. Can I interject real quick? Uh, I, I I like Kinchins overall, but to me, I completely unhooked as a looking at him as a first round pick, and it's maybe completely unfair because it's one play. But look at that game winning touchdown that he gave up against Georgia Tech, and to me, yeah. the lack of awareness of game situation awareness on that play is frightening. 
Yeah. Oh, that shows up. That shows up a lot. And as a fan of the well, observer of the Hurricanes, uh, I can tell you, I can tell you that you watch Cam Kitchens, and sometimes what he sees is not what is actually happening. Yeah. Newbin is the guy to me who I think has got real upside. He's got instinct and range for for days. I think he's a really interesting player. But again, you know, as we've talked about ad infinitum here, you've got a one or two, a five, two sixes and a seven. You just can't answer all these all these bells in terms of positions. I, I, and look, I liked what Deshaun Elliott did this this year as well. I you know I don't think Elliott's a you know a, a bad player at all. And I think you know Brandon Jones. Can you resign? Do you resign Brandon Jones? I actually like the the pairing of Holland and and Elliott. And and I, although I don't think Fangio's scheme suits Holland's ability, I actually think it suited Elliott's ability. A guy I liked in Detroit and a guy I thought played pretty well for Miami this year in terms of what you're asking him to do: box safety, run the alley, come in hit people, make tackles, be an extra linebacker, you know, that, all that kind of rotating into light, box, light boxes to heavy boxes. I think he did that well. But whether or not, you know, if there's a, a distinct change in system, whether or not Elliott fits kind of remains to be seen. Yeah, Deshaun Elliott for for bang for your buck, what they paid for him yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. coming off the hash was absolutely fabulous. But that's another guy they're going to have to sit down in a room and see what he wants. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, I think there's certain players in this league that are one year to year minimum to $2 million players. I think Deshaun Elliott is in that realm. Um, and I, I don't view him as a difficult player to resign. And if he escapes, he escapes. And there will be a lot of players that escape this offseason because uh, they don't have that much money or wiggle room to get these deals done. But it'll be interesting to see how. Steve Ross manages to give daddy the credit card, give, give, give baby boy the credit card and allows him to extend this 2024 um, Dolphins team. Um, well, gentlemen, it was a pre, it was a pleasure having you on the, uh, yeah, Alan's going to try to make hearts again. This is so weird. Wow, I'm that is weird. jealous. This is awesome. Alan can make hearts and I cannot make hearts. Like what is going on here? I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, but um, Simon, tell people about your draft guide. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it'll come out when I, it comes out when it comes out. It'll come out when it's finished. Uh, I think uh, I counted the other day. I think we're up to three hundred and nine players. Try and go through as many players as possible in terms of draft eligible guys. I try and watch a minimum over the year of three games per player. Dig into their background. Some aren't possible because they play for schools smaller than I can get tape for. Do a lot of background stuff in terms of research, injuries, things that just might make you see that a guy ticks whether it comes to work ethic or suspensions or arrests or all Every those life things. Or what, yeah what, just what, to kind of give you... players go to the, their 21st birthday party all those sorts of things all of those sorts of draft things. Day so, who was that player was that draft day the movie oh callahan oh callahan, callahan yeah. from draft day yeah there was Absolutely. something there was some josh rosen stuff in there too that was much like bo callahan but i can't yeah. remember it right now um uh, so, yeah. so how do they get the draft guide simon uh, I will, it'll be on social media. We'll put it on our three yards per carry. Um, and yeah, it'll be, I mean, it's cheap as chips, uh, which is a saying over here, which means it's not very expensive. So uh, I don't think we've set a price on it yet, but it's usually around between five or $10 or whatever. And it's, like I said, I mean, you've had one before. Um, Omar, it's like a hundred thousand words, 300 players. Yeah. It's, it's so, a lot of work and definitely well worth it. Um, especially when you sweet. want the, 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 the I, I still haven't found a Nolan Naraki replacement yet. Because I need somebody that gives me the dirt. I, that's yeah. that. That's what I want. Um, and but I do enjoy your draft guy. Al, that's tell cool. the people about the Discord for for three yards per carry. 
Again, yeah, if you want to become a member of our Discord, all you have to do is go to discord.gg forward slash OnlyFans, and you can become a member there for $3 a month. Definitely. Well, we appreciate you joining us on alldolphins.com. And as you know, you guys know, every everybody's got you behind a paywall, but us, it's for free. We're not, our fingers are not immediately on it. Um, definitely, you got my columns and Papard's stories. And look at look at that. I, I am so jealous. How, how, do I have to like raise it higher? What I have I, no idea. I, I, like one of only one of us gets the heart making ability. All right. Well, we thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. And that has been episode 211 of the All Dolphins podcast when podcast worlds collide. Hopefully, we'll give you a little bit more of these later on because uh, this is a five reasons collabo right here. See you guys later. Tip hat. Did you did you give him the hat tip to Poopart? I'll do it again. All right.